Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 10. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We're going to just read our text this morning. We'll come back and uh, take a look at some things. We've been talking about true biblical discipleship. I'll tell you more in just a second. Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're there, say amen. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, verse 1, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. Now, the name of the 12 apostles are... First, Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, the evil tax collector, Matthew. And it's interesting. He's the only one that gives a job description here. Did you see that? Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, or the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who was also, who also betrayed him. These twelve, Jesus, in verse 5, sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, this is what you're to do. Circle this in your Bible. Preach. Saying, this is what you're to say. This is what you're to preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick in verse 8. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out demons freely you have received. Freely give, Jesus said. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals or staff for workers worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Assuredly, in verse 15, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day, in the day of judgment, than for that city. Those are really sobering words. It will be more tolerable, and we know how bad the situation and the circumstance and the judgment that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. For those who reject God's words and reject God's people, according to Jesus, it will be Worse for them than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Matthew chapter 9, if you've been with us, you know we've been talking about this over the last several weeks, talking about this whole subject of true biblical discipleship. You know in chapter 9, Jesus looked out among the multitudes who were coming to him, 
and he was concerned. He was moved, the Bible says, with compassion. Why? Because he sees the people are sheep without a shepherd. He sees the people are mangled and strangled and scattered and broken and ripped. And it breaks his heart when Jesus looks and sees people mangled and strangled and broken and ripped. And I think he sees people who are mangled and strangled and broken and ripped even today. As he looks down from heaven and he sees what's going on in the church. And I'm sure it just breaks his heart when he sees people don't have a a shepherd. You know, sheep without a shepherd are pretty lost. And and, and I remember one time I was coming through, um, I think, Colorado. And I remember, you you know, someone once told me, you, when you hear, if you hear a sermon, you're probably going to forget it. If you hear a great sermon, you're, you're probably going to forget it at some point, even if it's a great sermon. But if you see a sermon, you will never forget it. And I remember I saw a sermon. I'm on the road. I think I was headed here, as a matter of fact, coming from Southern California. And I saw a sheep, one little lonely sheep. I like sheep. Sheep are cute. I collect sheep. sheep. Sheep are cute, but sheep are stupid. Did you know that? That's why when the Bible says that all ye are like sheep, that's not a compliment. <laughs> Could it be, Lord, we're stupid? Uh, yeah! I got sheep pajamas, sheep pillow. I got a sheep nighty cap. It's cool. And I saw this sheep one time, this one little sheep, cute little sheep, on the side of the road. And it struck me odd because it was a very fenced area. And, and, and I could not figure for the life of me. We're driving by on this two-lane road and coming, you know, coming here. And I think we're in the state of Colorado. And the sheep was out there. And I, and I looked at the sheep out there. And I, and I saw that it was the only lonely sheep out there. And I thought to myself, that sheep is going to be killed. He is going to be killed because he's on the main road. And there's no other sheep. And there was no shepherd. There was no shepherd to say, hey, sheepy, sheepy, come here, sheepy, sheepy, and get back in here. And, you know, that's the job of the shepherd. And, you know, where, where a sheep is really rebellious and continues to wander, you know what the shepherd had to do? He had to break his leg just to keep the sheep from wandering. But then if the shepherd broke his leg to keep the sheep from wandering, then it was the shepherd's responsibility to carry the sheep. You ever see one of those pictures where a shepherd is carrying the sheep? That's why. Because he had to break his leg because it was a rebellious, stubborn sheep who kept wandering out on the roads in Colorado. <laughs> and he had to break his legs, and now you got to carry. you got to bandage him up. you got to heal him. Get him healed, get him back up and running, and then let him go again. And hopefully from that break and from that time of healing, he'll never wander again. That's why they do that. You know, sometimes the Lord has to break our legs too, doesn't he? But he'll uphold you. He always will carry you, even if he has to break your legs. He does it because he loves you, just like the shepherd does it because he loves you. He loves the sheep, and he wants to help the sheep. And it breaks the heart of the Lord whenever he sees sheep without a shepherd. That's what we learn. Jesus looked out among the multitudes in chapter 9, and they thought they were fine, but God sees them in a way that they don't see themselves. See, they thought they were fine, but Jesus saw them as sheep that did not 
have a shepherd. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. In his innermost being, he was moved with compassion. And of all the things that he could have said, he said to the disciples, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest in chapter nine. Now, it is very interesting. We see in chapter nine, the Lord told them to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. Then we move on into chapter 10 and we see Jesus sending them into the harvest. So what we have here is in chapter 9, the laborers that are praying are the laborers they become in chapter 10. So be careful what you pray for. Because you just might get it. I'm sure that the disciples were gathered around together and, and, and one of the disciples said, come on, fellas, let's hold hands and pray. And Peter's standing there, I ain't holding hands, that's too girly. Hold hands and pray, what do you mean? Peter's a big, rough, tough, rugged guy. I'm not going to hold hands. Okay, I'll hold hands and pray. And they pray, Lord, thank you so much. And we pray that you would send laborers into the harvest. Lord, send the laborers in Jesus' name. Jesus standing right there, of course. In his name, you know. Send laborers, Lord. Amen, amen. And when they were done, Jesus said, okay, now go. They're like, what you talking about, Willis? Who, me? You see, like Isaiah, Isaiah said, here am I, send me. We say, here am I, send them. Because we don't want to go. We think it's for them, but not for us. No, the Lord shows us in this text, if you are praying, you're going to be the one that he sends into the harvest. So you got to be careful what you're praying for. Now, in case you missed it, if you haven't been with us, we've been talking about true biblical discipleship. Got a pen? Write this down. True biblical discipleship. And and, and last week I failed to mention, I, I would like to mention it this week to you. We're talking about discipleship, not sonship. We're talking about discipleship, not sonship. We are not talking about what it takes to become a child of God. We are not saying, do these things that you will become a Christian. Important distinction. We're not saying, do these things and you will become a Christian, but rather, you do these things because you are a Christian. That's what discipleship means. So we're talking about discipleship, not sonship. And I bring that up to you because I believe that in the church today, there are many, many, many Christians, but few disciples. Isn't it sad? You can have a saved soul and a wasted life. Did you know that? It is very possible for you to have a saved soul and a wasted life. I have seen it and met many people who I believe are truly born again and love Jesus. They go to church on Sunday, but that's all they do. Their lives aren't a blessing to anyone. Why? Because they are Christians, but they are not disciples. You see this word disciple? It means you're following Jesus with everything you have. True discipleship is not a casual commitment to Christ. True discipleship is not a passive call. It's not like being a Jesus groupie. You know, when you were younger, you... 16, 17, whatever, your favorite band comes to town. What do you do? You go see them. Why? Because you're a groupie. And hopefully maybe you can steal back backstage or something and get to get their autograph or touch them. 
Can I just touch your shirt? You're a groupie. And when it's over, you go home. Well, that's not discipleship. No, we're not groupies. We don't just show up for a half hour of worship on Sunday morning, and then we have a little bit of Jesus, and then we go back to our life. No, that's not discipleship. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about discipleship that means that Jesus actually becomes your life. You know that song, You Are My Strength When I Am Weak? You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. See, I think that song is talking about discipleship. You are my all and all. There it is. That's discipleship. My life belongs to him. Everything. And so we've been talking about that. Last week, we talked about two points. Number one, we talked about true disciples have a desire to be used of God. True disciples need to be willing to swap and switch and substitute and proxy their plans for his plans. What do you want to do, God? What do you want to do in my life? I swap my plans for your plans. Jeremiah said, God says, he knows the plans that he thinks toward you. Plans that are good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. God knows what he wants for your life. And true disciples trust him to do that. They have a desire to be used of God. The disciples, they were willing to let go of their plans that they might lay hold of God's plans. And then the second characteristic we talked about last week, true disciples are people who don't trust in their own ability. The disciples... The apostles, they didn't trust in their own abilities. We talked about it last week quite in depth. They weren't the influential bunch. They weren't in the who's who. The disciples, actually, when you look at their story, you find that they were actually a pretty pathetic package of players. They really were. And without posturing and programs and PowerPoint and buildings and budgets and buses, these guys, might I say, turned the world right side up. Without all the means of the world. Why? How could they do it? Because they had a dependency of which I believe the church is missing today. They had a dependency on the Holy Spirit. They didn't have all the cool stuff. They didn't have all the money and the, 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 you know, the television and cameras and you know, satellite and all of these. They didn't have any of that. And they affected, the Bible's clear, the entire world. The entire known world in that day. How did they do that? How? Because they depended on the Holy Spirit. You know, someone once said, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the church today, things would go on just as they always have. That's sad. But it's true. These guys had a dependency on the Holy Spirit. So very important. The disciples didn't trust in their own ability. They trusted in the power of God. We pick up our study this morning talking about true biblical discipleship. The third characteristic of true discipleship. Get this. They understand their primary audience. What do you mean, Rodney? Well, simple as this. They understand who they should go to, and who they should reach. Look at verse 5 in your Bible again. Notice Jesus told them, don't go in the way of the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, there are people who really have a problem with this verse. 
There are some theologians who say of this verse, this is known as the limited commission. You've heard of the Great Commission. They call this the limited commission. And what they say is that Jesus is limiting the Gentiles from being saved. And now we, we know that cannot be right. That's just not true. But whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we've got a ton of scriptures. We don't have time to go over that this morning. But it's not talking about that at all. As a matter of fact, all Jesus is simply doing is he's telling them and giving them their priority in ministry. Jesus is saying in your apostolic ministry, this is where I want you to start. These are the people that you are to reach. He is setting forth their primary audience and focus for ministry. That's all. This is where you're to start. And as disciples, if you want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, then you too have a primary audience. Who is your primary audience? Man, when Paul got saved, he was the Jew of Jews. And Paul, a Jew, was given a different audience. Remember, he was to go preach to the Gentiles. And then Peter. Peter was given the audience of the Jews. And Calvary Chapel, we have an audience. They're in the triangle. And we're to get the gospel out. God has been using this church. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? God has been using this church to get the gospel into the triangle. Have you noticed? And not only in the triangle, but also we're on the radio. Did you know our church is on the radio in Chicago, Illinois, the Windy City? I think that's a blessing. And get emails from them and, hey, cool study, man. You know, and it's, it's great. We're on the radio in Virginia and North Raleigh and Raleigh and Garner and Smithfield and all over. And we're getting more wattage to boost up so we can get the, get the broadcast in Durham and Chapel Hill and all over the place. But God has given us our primary audience and we need to take advantage of that. And God has given every person, every person has someone he or she can only reach. There are guys and there are people that you guys will run into and have the opportunity to share the gospel with that wouldn't darken the doors of this church. You know, I think of uh, uh, Bikers for Jesus. You heard of Bikers for Jesus? They meet in Florida. Is it Florida? And they have this big time convention in Florida. And all of the, all these bikers kind of, you know, the Bikers for Jesus go there because all these bikers from all over. I mean, these are big guys with leather jackets and goatees down to here. You know, I saw this one biker guy, his goatee was braided. Like down, I'm like, oh, you look scary. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, now look, then look, understand. There's these bikers for Jesus, these guys who love Jesus. And they go to the big biker convention and they infiltrate. And they get in there and they start, hey, how you doing? And trying to share the gospel. Those are guys that I could never preach the gospel to. And I don't want to. I mean, they, they, might, they might kill me. You know what I mean? It's like, what do you want, preacher? I'm just here preaching the gospel, but I'm just leaving. I'm just, I'm out, man, I'm out. But see, but, but, but God has given you a ministry in that area where I could never reach them. You can, Jews for Jesus. You've got Jews for Jesus who go out and they preach the gospel and they seek to reach Jewish people. Doctors. 
Now, I preached a sermon first service, and one of the doctors who attends the church, he had a doctor friend with him. And the doctor friend who was here the first time, first service today, the doctor friend came up and said, hey, you know what? That this doctor friend is, is the reason why I'm here. I was his primary audience. That was his first service today. And so doctors, hey, I, I can't, you know, I, I can, but I, I just generally don't because I don't, I'm not a doctor. And lawyers and, and all of you, and some of y'all have opportunity to share the gospel with crooks. I mean, you got, got crooks living in your house. I mean, share the gospel with the crooks. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying, man? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I can't, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I guess I do know some crooks, actually. Let me think about that. But I mean, just all kinds of people, wherever you are, you know, some of these kids in, in the different cultures of music nowadays, in the hip hop culture, in the hardcore culture, in the culture, they've got cultures of people and where, you know, you can share the gospel right where you are. That's your primary audience. I will never have an opportunity to reach the people that God has called you to reach. So no matter what you do and where you work, that is your primary audience. It does not matter where you, if you work at IBM, your primary audience is the people at IBM. Make them your mission field. You know, one guy comes over and asks you to show him something about how to, you know, turn on a computer or something. I guess you know that if you already work at IBM, but, or do you? <laughs> But, you know, the guy comes over to the office and he's like, hey, how you do this? You go, oh, well, you didn't do this and you do that. And you turn on this program, you turn on that program. Hey, are you a Christian? Do you know this program? And that, you know, subliminal message. You, know, you slide it in there any way you can get it in, you know what I mean? And just kind of, you know, hey, what about you? Hey, what if you work at Hardee's? You know, you fried chicken for Jesus. You know, just, just tell them, hey, you're putting that chicken in the hot grease. Hey, man, you know, hell is hot too. Uh, well, you know, just whatever. I mean, just whatever's going to bring up some conversation. You know, maybe you're in the business where they'll be like, hell. Maybe, you know, there's a brother in the church you guys know. He's in the Christian CBMC, Christian businessman. He's got businessmen that he can reach and I can't reach. I don't meet these people. I don't know these people. This is your primary mission field. And it is the responsibility of every single one of us to go and to affect our primary sphere of, of, of life. That's not the preacher's job. Now, I've heard people say often, you know, well, man, if I could just get them to church, if I can just get them to church, Pastor Rodney, I'm trying to get them to church. And I'm like, hey, well, why don't you try to get them to Jesus? And if you just right where you are, whatever you do, you work in the park, you clean the streets, whatever you do, try to get them to Jesus. And guess what? They'll want to go to church. And you won't have to try to get them to church. They'll be like, hey, man, what you, I got to like, know this Jesus guy you're talking about. How can I find out about? Oh, well, come to Calvary Chapel. Or go to whatever church they, they like to go to. Go with them. Share the gospel with them. That's your primary audience. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's just simply saying, hey, this is where you start. You know, it makes me think of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, Pastor Chuck Smith. Man, he knew what his primary audience was. It was the hippies. I can't reach hippies. Do I look like a hippie? No. I can't reach hippies. I don't even like the beach. I hate the beach. 
I, I, I can't stand sand between my toes. It just drives me nuts. It's like scratching a blackboard. Uh, uh, I can't stand sand between my toes. And I don't like the beach. I don't need a tan. Do I look like I need a tan? I was born looking like this. You know, folks laying out on the beach and turning over like rotisserie, you know what I mean? Get a little sun over here, get a little sun over there and stuff. I don't need that. I, was, I got my tan. I don't need copper tone. don't need none of that. I don't like the beach. Now, God called a man like Chuck Smith who loves the beach, loves the surf and all that, to reach out to his primary audience. Very important. Bill Bright had no question as to the audience he was to reach. Campus Crusade for Christ. Dr. Dobson had no question as to the audience he was to reach. He needed to focus on the family. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.